the podcast. I think they got the idea, right? <laughs> I believe so too. Yes. Hello, everyone. <laughs> welcome, welcome to Open the Box. We're gonna do something new today. I'm gonna be the one opening. My name is Rody, and I am here with my best bud, the Carl to my Lenny, the Barney to my Homer, the Millhouse to my Bart. What's going on, Rando? Hey, man. How's it going today? It's going well. I'm very excited. Because if you couldn't tell, we are talking about The Simpsons today. Simpsons have been around for ages. And Mm -hmm. even that sound effect, too, it's imparted into our everyday lives. Woohoo! Like, that is a Homer colloquialism. (laughs) And I wanted to touch upon certain parts today since it has been such a long running show. I wanted to discuss maybe our first impressions of it, favorite episodes. And then later on, we're going to delve a little bit deeper. We're going to open the box on certain topics that seem to circle around the TV show, which is how they deliver their humor through stereotyping and satire, their ability to allegedly predict the future, and just its overall overall longevity and comparing it to other TV shows that are very similar to it. So before we get into anything rando, like I always do, I always have to give background knowledge on the information for those one or two individuals that have never seen it, which still baffles me, but you know. So The Simpsons are the longest running animated TV series and longest running scripted primetime TV shows in U.S. history. It premiered, it debuted in December of 89 and is now broadcast in many languages and audiences around the world. It was created by cartoonist Matt Groening, and he began this in 87 as a short for the Tracy Ullman Show, which was a variety program show on the Fox Broadcasting Company. It was later extended to a half-hour show and debuted as a Christmas episode. And then it started regularly airing in January of 1990. The show is set in a fictional area called Springfield. And according to Groening, he named it after where he's uh, part of where he lives. So Springfield, Oregon, because Groening grew up in. Oh, man, I I have it written somewhere. It would be nice if it popped up. (laughs) He grew up. Yeah, he grew up in Oregon, in Portland, Oregon. There you go. So he, he tried to make it as close to hard, to as hard as possible. And The Simpsons, the TV show itself, centers around a family with all the dysfunctions of a normal modern era, but with the demographics of the 1950s. So basically saying that it's got two married parents, Homer and Marge, two pre-adolescent children, Bart and Lisa, and an infant, Maggie, with living grandparents and family. And through that, over time, they've actually developed and created an entire world in essence within this fictional town. So my question to you is what were your first impressions of the Simpsons? When did you get a taste of them? Well, my first impression of the Simpsons when I first saw it, um, you know, 
I was a fan. I mean, my, you know, I think it was something that my parents were watching. My mom was watching. Uh, so, you know, it, religiously, like every Sunday was that, you know, the new episode of Simpsons would come on. Um, you know, we, we'd be, we'd be watching, we'd be watching it, especially during, you know, especially during like, you know, the, the, the late nineties is like when I remember like watching it for sure. Like mid to late nineties is like when I have vivid memories of the Simpsons. Um, and yeah, I mean, that carried its way all the way up into the early two thousands where at that moment where I, you know, stopped watching it after, oh man, I, 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 I can almost recall like maybe not too far after the first movie, maybe things just got, you know, one a little bit busy and then, you know, I've kind of, my taste, you know, d- d- developed into other things. So, um, yeah, but so when you chose this topic today, Rody, you know, thank you for, for choosing this topic. It definitely was definitely fun to go back to and, you know, have an opportunity to see what The Simpsons was. And looking at it from a different lens, I got a chance to really appreciate the show. Um, that in my younger years, I thought it was just funny, but also it also has a lot of depth and, you know, really sophisticated humor, as well as, you know, childish humor as well as much as inappropriate humor as well. Like it's all married together very, very well. So um, definitely, definitely see why that show has been on for so long. Yeah. I think that was one of the main reasons I wanted to discuss this topic was because a, it's quite arguably one of my favorite shows. I, similar to you, I started watching it like early to mid nineties. And although most people kind of like path, like their paths divert from watching the show because they were like, I can't dedicate like every Sunday to this. I, I've always tried to stay tried and true and watch it. Even if I miss it, like there's so many streaming services out there <laughs> that I could always find it. Right. And it, it's just, it's very nostalgic because it reminds me of when I was younger and I would watch it and I would think, oh my God, this is an adult cartoon and I'm watching it and I'm a stupid little kid. <laughs> so I felt much cooler than I should have been, even though like it, it wasn't really too mature, but yeah. As an adult now, like you rewatch some of these things and you start to pick up on certain nuances and it's just like, oh, they were they were talking about like something completely different than what I was thinking they were talking about. And it just it was a really cool concept. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, it, it's funny because on, on that vein of like, you know, watching like shows back in the day with adult humor. Uh, I mean, some of those shows for me were Ren and Stimpy, which was one of my like, one of my one of my favorites to watch. Uh, Rocco's Modern Life was another one, uh, so that that covers the Nickelodeon channel, right? And then we also have, um, I mean, you know, shortly after, not shortly after, but you know, several years after, I, I, I like the introduction of Futurama, all these other shows as well. So also Matt Groening production, right? But yeah, and then subsequently, what 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 else came of it, right? And all these other shows. So I yeah. mean, The Simpsons is a The Simpsons is a classic classic series and definitely has its has its place in the annals of history absolutely so you stated that you started watching it like mid 90s and you kind of fell off after the film so like mid to late 2000s in that time period do you ever have like a favorite episode yeah oh man so (laughs) when looking back on it i did not by the way, I have to say, like, before you had mentioned this as a topic, I kind of blanked The Simpsons out of my mind. Like, I completely forgot about the entire series as a whole. I mean, there were key moments that I remember, but, you know, going back, it all came back to me. Like, watching watching some of these shows in the in the bubble in the time that we were in. Um, my favorite, my favorites among them, I mean, there was a few. Um, which one did I... 
Mr. Plow went back and I saw for the first time in years. I thought it was like, oh yes, I one one of my, I think one of my favorites. I, I had told you uh, the one where um, we had Duffman, right? Duffman can't oh. breathe. Oh no! Um, <laughs> one of my favorite lines that had me cracking up in stitches as a kid and also as an adult. You know, I think that's just I don't know, just funny, uh, just to hear every time. Uh, but other than that, I mean the the one of my i realized and it's funny i almost by fate where i actually like sat down and watched this episode and be like oh my goodness how did i forget that this is one of my favorite episodes uh was the rosebud episode um that was season four episode like five or something like that maybe maybe i got the seasons right the episode you have to look up but um I like that episode because it had, you know, it, it humanized the first time that they humanized Mr. Burns, right? And then, you know, and Maggie had had the, had the, had the teddy bear that Mr. Burns uh, had grown up with. So it was definitely a really, really good episode. And if you haven't watched it, it's definitely, it's so much meat on the bone in that episode. I think at a certain point today, I definitely want to dissect that episode, at least just an element of it, because it was really, really well done, really, really well written. And quite frankly, you know, probably not going to be on the top of anybody else's like list because again, such a catalog of Simpsons has, right? But I really, really enjoyed that episode for multiple reasons. The funny part is, as you were saying, the Rosebud episode, I don't know why my mind went to the, uh, the crossover episode where there was a film festival in Springfield and Barney right. had a bit of a Rosebud moment where he's like, don't cry for me. I'm already dead. And his, uh, he basically puts a flower in the empty duff bottle. I don't know why my mind went to yeah. that. And I was not thinking about like, <laughs> Mr. Burns and his Bobo. But again, yeah. also a good episode. Yeah, no, again, and they have so many references. And I think that's what many of us, either we overlook or when we see it, we're like, ooh, Easter egg, like little <laughs> subtle nuances. Yeah, my goodness. This, and it, it's so interesting. Like there's like this philosophical contrast between geriatric age and, and infancy, right? Where there's like, yeah. you know, and, and, and one, is, one is fighting for memories. The other one is, is fighting to keep what they what they already have, but won't have forever. So it, yeah. it's such an interesting, as I said, so much, so much, so much about that episode. It, it's really, really well done. And thank you for uh, the crossover episode. I, I'm, you know, give me, uh, can you give me a little context on that one? Uh, yeah, I want to say it was one of the first episodes in which the simpsons ever did a crossover and they had uh there was a tv show on fox called the critic and I, I it was basically as the title implied it was about a guy who was a film critic and they opened with uh the guy critiquing rainier Wolfcastle, and rainier found out that he was basically like making fun of him and he went to go mess him up and he like said oh your shoes are untied and you see like rainier Wolfcastle like several hours later going oh, wait, I'm wearing loafers, but let me take a closer look. And to bring culture and class into Springfield, because I think Homer had done something, they were going to do a film festival. Mm -hmm. And they had several people on the panels, and they um, they opened it up to the critic. So as he was there, every at every turn, he would outdo Homer, and he started to get jealous. So there was like a belching contest that he outdid Homer, he out ate him. He ended up having um, more pork chops at one point. And then when it came time to do the, the filming, the film festival, Marge was making up the, the judges and Homer's like, you got to put me on there. And she's like, no, you're not going to take it seriously. And as they show several of the, several of the films, one of them was Mole Man, Hans Mole Man getting hit in the, the groin by a football. 
and Homer losing his shit. <laughs> and they, they're all like, uh-oh, we'll see where this is going. And then it was basically a battle between who had the best independent film. Was it Mr. Burns, who basically hired a professional director? Uh, <laughs> what was it? Uh, Miguel Spielberg, where they did like a spook, a spoof on Steven Spielberg. And uh, mm-hmm. Barney Gumble, who did his, his tribute to his, his alcoholism. And Homer finally came to his senses and he voted the correct way instead of voting for, you know, football in the groin and for Mr. Burns' boss. And Barney ended up winning this independent film. The critic goes away and then you see at the very end, Mr. Burns going up for like an Emmy or a Grammy or some crap. And they ended up losing to a guy who in essence did the same video as Hans Molman where it was football in the groin. And that's how the episode ends. Funny thing, I actually for some reason did not know the episode was a crossover. Yeah, I, I I remember it as you as you as you kind of laid it out to me, and I, I realize I remember also realizing that I just thought it was another Simpsons episode, you know. Um, so <laughs> you know, go, goes to show you how how popular The Simpsons was, and probably still is to a certain degree. Like, but yeah, definitely, you know, like, I didn't realize it was. You know that any you know that that at that that at that time that it was a crossover episode. I, I guess yeah. I got to go back and watch that one as well. <laughs> Again, and that's the best part is that if you look at a lot of these individualized episodes, like, uh, they always have like factoids on each one. So there are going to be several episodes later on that I'm going to be referencing, and that you might even reference that have like subtle notoriety for specific groups, or mm-hmm. have won certain acclaims for specific reasons. So, like, with that one, like, you didn't necessarily know because, again, we were kids. We probably didn't remember the TV show The Critic because it, it right. didn't have as much fame and notoriety as the prolific Simpsons. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. <laughs> but to, to piggyback on what you said earlier, uh, you mentioned, like, you didn't necessarily have a favorite. And I, I, I got to agree with you. I feel like because there is such a volume of episodes it is very hard to pinpoint one specific episode that stands out like i know for myself when i reflected on that that topic of what's my favorite episode my mind did go to several episodes um featuring ralph wiggum so like i love lisa season four episode 15 or this little wiggy season nine episode 18 because he is quite Mm -hmm. arguably one of my favorite characters and he's got some of the (laughs) best lines in the in the entire series but I was like, are these my favorite, favorite episodes? And my mind right. then reflected on one episode. And that was season six, episode 22, Round Springfield. It aired April 30th, 1999. And the whole preface of the episode was, it started out about Bart, but then it became an episode about Lisa. And I love the fact that they focused on the middle child. Mm. So the how the episode starts, it's the whole family, they're eating breakfast. Bart's talking about how he's got a test that day. And as he's eating his cereal, they made sure to pan over and focus on the Krustios that the prize was a sharp, metal, jagged Krustio. Bart eats the, the sharp metal object, starts complaining that his stomach's in knots and that he's in pain. And he's like, I don't think I can go to school today. 
Marge, knowing how her son is, just goes, you're going to school. You're lying. And Lisa goes to bat for him and says, no, I, I think he's actually telling the truth this time. And he goes to school. He tries to take the test. He straight up blacks out, and then he gets rushed to the hospital. While he's at the hospital, um, the doctor, Julius Hibbert, goes, hey, you've ingested a jagged crustio. We're going to have to do surgery. Bart, while she's at the hospital, happens to walk by and notices that her musical idol, Bleeding Gums Murphy, is there, too. So they start shooting the shit, and... As they're talking, she basically brings up how she's going to have a musical concert that night. And he goes, here, take my saxophone for good luck. That night, she has her performance. She absolutely kills it. And as she returns to the hospital to thank him for the confidence boost, the nurse reveals that Bleeding Gums Murphy has died. Lisa goes through a horrific depression over her, her idol passing. And... I believe it was Marge makes the comment like, maybe you could find a way to commemorate him. She knows that Bleeding Gums has only made one album aptly called Sax on the Beach. She goes around Springfield looking for people that have this album, and she lands at the doors of the Android Dungeon, which is the local comic book stop store. And as she goes in to talk to comic book guy, which, fun fact, his name is, I believe, Jeffrey Albertson. Who'd have thought that? <laughs> she talks to the comic book guy and goes, I'd like to buy this this album in honor of Bleeding Gums. And he goes, oh my God, he died? She replies, yes. And he marks up the price from $250 to $500. Defeated, she goes home and she just sulks and sulks and sulks until the album gets thrown on her bed. Big reveal, Bart Simpson the notorious, you know, naughty older brother says, I bought this for you because you were the only one that believed in me. You only one that trusted me when I said I didn't feel good. I didn't feel well. And she's like, you'll never see this money again. And they kind of pan over to him being the fairy scone. I think I have a way. And they show like a poisonous crustio box. <laughs> she gives the album to the local jazz station. It only has a signal of a few feet because they're the most popular, quote unquote, jazz station, which was a knock at blues and jazz and all that good stuff. And mm-hmm. lightning strikes. The whole town of Springfield here is bleeding gums as sacks on the beach. As she's walking away, she says, this one's for you. And they do a bit of a joke on the Lion King where you see bleeding gums Murphy's head in the clouds. Then you see Mufasa. Then you see Darth Vader. Then you see just James Earl Jones, who voiced bleeding gums Murphy. And they end up the episode by playing Carol King's Jazzman. And the reason it's my favorite episode is is multi-layered. So first, it was quite arguably the first official kill in The Simpsons. Because mm. prior to that, no other character had been killed off permanently. Yeah. We find out in season seven they killed off Dr. Mar- Marvin Monroe. But they never openly stated that he died. It just happened to pan over on the hospital. It said, like, the Dr. Marvin Monroe Memorial. So Bleeding Gums was the first official kill on camera, which is very bold. And they finally gave resolution to Lisa. 
because for anybody that's ever watched seasons maybe one through ten, which to anybody that watches The Simpsons, quite arguably the only times they were ever good, they always <laughs> left Lisa hanging. In most of the episodes, she was always depressed, she was always miserable, and they never found any solace for her. It was always like, cool, you can keep being the glum middle child. And in this episode... But the other... Yeah. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but the other thing about Lisa, right, it also showed that she was the smartest person in the room in every room she stepped in. And it also showed, right, it, 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 but it showed the, it, it kind of showed like this ironic, like, you know, this ironic feeling of, you know, the smartest person in the room is never the happiest. It also showed that, again, she was a die, she was a diehard, true to fact, jazz player. Because Bleeding Gums yeah. in the first season, when we first introduced to him, yeah. The blues aren't meant to make people feel happy. They're there to make people feel worse. And <laughs> or, she, to, or, or to like mellow in those feelings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and for once, it finally showed a little bit of growth for her as a character, opposed to just being like the quote unquote forgotten middle child. And what I loved mm. even further than that is just the music choices. Because The Simpsons, I feel like they don't get enough acknowledgement for the choice of music they make. And they could have picked any song, arguably any song, to play at the very end for Lisa and Bleeding Gum to do their duet. And they chose Carol King's Jazz Man. And what's comical is that Carol King's backstory almost mirrors Lisa's backstory because they found out that Carol King was actually very gifted when she was young, and her mother was getting her to start music at the age of four because she was gifted. And when we mm -hmm. find out in later seasons in the episode Lisa Sachs, which is around like season season nine, episode three, she got her saxophone and started her music career when she was four. So it's very cool that they were able to pick like an artist who quite arguably could be like a living version of Lisa. And mm -hmm. I, I just I find that really just fantastic how like that subtle little like maybe one minute snippet of that song could be so impactful to like developing a character. Yeah. You know, speaking of character development, mm -hmm. initially I was going to say like, you know, how can you, how can you develop a character, you know, over the span of 30 years, right? And when they don't age. And yeah. <laughs> quite frankly, I, you know, I kind of ate my words as I was seeing the show, you know, like, there is a lot of character development with all of these individuals to a certain degree. I mean, of course, there's many regressions for continuity to keep the show fresh. I mean, not not fresh, but to keep it comical. Yeah. Because uh, obviously, you know, you, you don't want to turn the Simpsons into BoJack Horseman, of course. But Ooh. Um. <laughs> Ooh, comparing it—that's a different segment. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, like I was like, oh wow, this this show actually has. Uh, some elements of, of of development for for these characters, and they do it in such a unique way. Where I guess you know, there's little things that they do across the the seasons that kind of keep things fresh and new. You know, you, you mentioned character development, Lisa's character development. I think Lisa is one of those characters, as as you said, who probably doesn't get you know out of, out of the range of characters there are on that show. Lisa probably gets the the least amount of like attention when there's so many more dominant characters to, to, to dominant personality characters to be right. Yes, Such as Homer, absolutely. even Marge, uh, you know, 
you know, even uh, what's it called? Even Maggie gets more more play sometimes than you know. She killed a dude, <laughs> or tried to at least. Like she, that's a lot of development for a baby. Like this is a girl Bart. that has spoken maybe two sentences in a span of thirty two years. Yeah, and, and she she knows how to handle like several different types of firearms. Like that's that's growth. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, and I yeah. love the fact that you mentioned Bojack Horseman because I am going to use a reference from another animated TV show for our next little section. Love it. This this statement is from South Park, and it's a quote: "Simpsons did it. Simpsons did it." <laughs> In that episode of South Park, Butters. It was in his alter ego. He was Professor Chaos. And he was trying to do nefarious, evil things to South Park. And his sidekick, every time Butters would suggest doing something, he would interject going, Simpsons did it. And it got to a maddening point where Butters, at the end of the episode, came up with this very convoluted statement this idea and in the background they showed the the trailer for the next simpsons episode in which bart was going to do that to springfield and he Mm. absolutely loses his mind and the reason i i I bring that episode up of south park is the notion that simpsons did it that it's been a popular trend over the past maybe five years of allegedly the simpsons predicting the future and I wanted your ideas on that because are they predicting the future? Is it all a coincidence? Is it inspiration? What? What? <laughs> like, <laughs> so what? Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, it's, it, it's interesting. I mean, when it comes to The Simpsons, you know, that's one of the things that they're known for, right? They're known for almost having like uh, Matt Groening being this, uh, you know, this this medium who sees you know who sees the future who's like you know what let's put this on let's put this on canvas and let's make you know let's make this happen few few years later it comes to fruition i'm gonna make a reference uh to a show that isn't animated but it almost feels like to me that matt groening is our version of chuck from supernatural you know he writes he writes things and you know basically he you know, he, the prophecy is written. He puts it on an episode and all of a sudden it just appears in our, in, in our lives. Right. Um, wh- whether, uh, whether I personally believe, you know, Matt Groening was, whether, whether he wrote these things or like whether his, whether the team wrote this thing to be like coincidental or um, whether, you know, there's some type of like correlation as to, oh, maybe, maybe they know something that we don't. Um, all these references to Fox and all these different things, you know, all, so all of these things can be can be construed in a certain way that they, that these individuals have more knowledge than we think that they do, or like we kind of laugh it off, right? And it's like, oh, ha, ha. you know, that's just a coincidence. But how many coincidences can there possibly be, right? Before you know, you know, you you start to realize that there might be even some direct correlations because some of the things that you hear on these TV show and in this TV show, you end up hearing, you know use later on on your your in your media and your news and and it and when it's done right in, in those terms it's no longer funny <laughs> you know what i mean not funny anymore yeah. but it's um 
it's interesting how it's interesting how it's either driven by 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 that notion right by that ideology um because it was like oh it's a very interesting way of looking at it let me adopt this you know like maybe a conscious adoption of, of that thought and idea or you know art imitating life right and that's you know that, that that's the i guess that is a conundrum right because i don't know where i stand on that conundrum because the thing is i feel that's a little bit of column a and a little bit of column b I, I feel like there's a little bit of inspiration that people take from watching such a popular show in the 90s. And I, but I also feel that um, it's not, you know, these things are not ha- don't happen by coincidence either. So uh, what about you? What, what are you well, let me drop a few examples of in which The Simpsons, quote unquote, predicted things. Right. So All right. I, I feel like somewhat similar to you in which some can fall into different categories where, you know right. what? It is just coincidence. Others, well, it's just this show kind of just noticing, like, this is technological. It's going to advance and do this eventually. So we have Mm -hmm. one example is that they predicted autocorrect in season six, episode eight, Lisa on Ice. They predicted FaceTime and um, smartwatches in season six, episode 19, Lisa's Wedding. They, what was it? There was one other very imperative one that just, it it's things that don't seem like they'd be that big of, an, of a notice. But then there, there comes certain other factors like, um, mm-hmm. so like 9-11, they, they stated that the Simpsons pre- allegedly predicted 9-11, right? So, right. In the episode, season nine, episode one, The City of New York vs. Homer Simpson, which aired September 21st, 1997. In the episode, Homer, like it starts out where Homer and Barney, they're going out drinking. And I believe they state that, what's his face? Barney Gumble has to be the designated driver. And yes. on that day, Duffman comes and basically like awards Barney for being like the number one Duff provider or whatever. And yep. he recants to Duffman, hey, um, I'm the DD tonight. I, I can't drink. And the whole party stops and then they just started raging out without him. Yep. Barney, after he drives everybody home, Homer goes, make sure you give my car back in the morning. And he goes, yeah, sure. Two months later, Barney completely disappears, steals Homer's car, they come to find out when Barney comes back in the trunk of a, like a limousine that he left his Homer's car in New York. Homer's pissed because he has flashbacks of when he was younger and like all these horrific things happened in New York. They're like, how are we going to get there? And Bart holds up a magazine that says, oh, the trip to New York is only $9. And in the background are the Twin Towers. So in the image, it says 9-11, or at least it looks like 9-11. Then the whole hmm. premise of the episode, like the, the main storyline, is where Homer's car is literally between the Twin Towers. And yeah. you start to see the, the people from the towers arguing with each other, like who's the better tower, who's the worst tower. And it just, it devolves into that. And people are like, oh my God, it predicted 9-11. And I beg the question of, well, 
it could have been a coincidence. Like it, of all things, they happened to just choose the number nine, nine dollars. Mm-hmm. They could have easily have picked any other number, and we wouldn't be having this conversation. So I feel right. like a lot of it is a matter of just like hindsight and people just trying to put together certain things. Because I'll give you another instance: The Simpsons, season twenty-six, episode twenty-one, the episode called Bull E, which aired in twenty fifteen. Bart's at a school dance and he he sees this very pretty girl and there's a voice inside of his head that goes, if you dance with her, I'm going to start puberty. So he decides I'm going to take the leap. He starts dancing with her. As he's leaving the dance, a furry, acne-covered monster, puberty monster, reveals itself to him and says, you're under my control now, basically. Two years mm. later, a TV show by the name of Big Mouth premieres on Netflix. <laughs> now, are we saying that the Simpsons predicted that, you know, Nick Kroll and John Mulaney were going to make this TV show? Was it an influence or was it a little coincidence? Right. So it begs the question, like, how many of these are influenced? How many of these are coincidental? And I'm going to bring up the, the big topic because, you know, this is the one that everybody knows about. <laughs> was Trump's presidency, yeah. Right. Season 11, episode 17, Bart to the Future, premiered in Mar- on March 19th, 2000. They literally referenced that President Trump is going to be president, that he was the president right yeah. before Lisa Simpson. So right, Lisa Simpson, yeah. right now they already really? screwed up. They already screwed up because we, we got, you know, Sleepy Joe at the helm, not Lisa <laughs> Simpson. But we have Kamala Harris as, as vice president. So we're the first oh. female VP, right? Okay, so we got a lady in office. What is it, close enough? Sure. I don't know. Now, I'm going to give you two more episodes, and you tell me. Are they predicting the future? Is it all a dink Or maybe it inspired something. So we have Bart to the Future. That was our first reference. About eight seasons later, season 19, episode 10, E Pluribus Wiggum aired in 2008. Ralph decides to run for president. His catchphrase to get people to vote for him is, quote, he wants to make America great again. And then a season later, season 20, episode 21, Coming to America, 2009, the whole premise of the episode were that there were, quote, unquote, illegal immigrants coming to Springfield, taking everybody's jobs. And the Mayor Quimby's way of saying, hey, we're going to get rid of these people is by building a wall. And when asked, how are they going to build these walls? Oh, we'll have them do it. And while, you know, these illegal immigrants were building their own wall to stay out of Springfield, they made up their own homeland security in which they just had any Tom, Dick, and Harry set up on the border, rifle at hand while people tried to illegally get in. Yeah. A little eerie, no? Yeah. It sounds very vaguely familiar to like 2016. <laughs> yeah no definitely um (laughs) you know the other conversation that that it has been had right is that uh trump is the avid watcher of the fox network right so uh fox programming fox news and a lot of his rhetoric is repeated through things that he has seen and 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 some of those things before the one that really got me, and I know you're going to mention this, but I'm going to I'm going to jump ahead of you on this one. I apologize. Uh, is the uh, what you call it? 
the one that really threw me for a loop. Uh, the one where Mar Marge goes to jail? The sad part is which one? Because uh, there were two episodes oh, okay. in which Marge went to jail. Margin Chance. Mar Margin Chance. Margin Chance, okay. Margin Chance, where, where, where the one, that, that's basically where the one that, that begins where, you know, in this, in this particular episode, Japan, right? Yep. Getting a, getting a, yeah, getting a, what you call it, uh, a juicer, you know, end up bringing like this mass spread of, of this disease that they coughed into a box and all of a sudden everybody, you know, started buying this product and everybody started catching this thing. And the crazy and most wildly ironic part about it is the fact that they never really get to the bottom of that issue. <laughs> you know, they, they don't even solve it. They stop talking about it after a certain point. Yeah. So it's so interesting, right? How there's a little bit of dichotomy of like human panic. And it, it was so interesting how, the, you know, it basically shows like how a narrative can be strong so quickly and easily. And if you stop talking about it, apparently it ceases to exist. It was so, it was so eerie how, and the fact is not for nothing, you know, not, you know, not in, um, you know, not in support of, or, you know, yeah, not in support of Trump, but that was one of the, the last things that he said in office, right? He was like, oh, uh, you know, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get your, the radical left is going to get presidents, is going to get their president and, uh, you know, all the stuff, you know, they're going to get the, the vaccine and all the stuff is going to magically go away. That, 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 was, that was his words. Um, that's, you know, that, that that's a scary, alarming thing, right? And, you know, you don't know whether that is, you know, like, him just trying to map out a future episode of The Simpsons or, or or episode of The Simpsons, or you just don't know whether he has this information that we don't necessarily are aware of or like we're, we're, we're readily given. You know, they're into some weird stuff, man. And if we deny that, then, you know, we're denying a big portion of, of what could potentially be a truth, right? Or a part, even if it's not the full, even if it's not the full truth. You, you said something and I, Again, I find it so comical because The Simpsons have been on for so long. Like, anything that you say can literally be referenced to an episode. So you stated, like, oh, if you stop talking about it, it ceases to exist. That was literally the yeah. plot point of one of the Treehouse of Horrors, where all of the billboards and all the signs and all, like, the statues and crap for food chains or whatever came to life. And their right. way of stopping them from existing was by basically saying, just don't look. Just don't look. And if you stop paying attention to it, it would go away. So yeah. I, I definitely find that really comical. And the fact that the points that you touched upon with Trump are even more entertaining because in 2016, Hollywood Reporter actually interviewed, I believe, Groaning over it, saying like, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on the presidency? How did you predict it? And his words were, quote, it just seemed like the logical last step before hitting bottom it was pitched because it was consistent with the vision of America going insane. So it was very comical that <laughs> despite them, like, quote, unquote, predicting the future, it was done out of satire. It was done to make light of the situation. Like, that was his vision of the world going to crap. And speaking of the world going yep. to crap, you did jump into another bit of a talking point with COVID. You mentioned the episode Margin Change, season four, episode 21 in which the Osaka yep. flu came from Japan and wreaked havoc on Springfield. I'm going to bring up yep. another episode, and you tell me how eerie it sounds. So season 22, okay. episode 6, the full Monty. 
This aired in 20, uh, 2010. The episode literally starts with media heads talking about a phony crisis to scare people to watch more TV. They suggest that an epi- uh, epidemic occurred called the house cat flu in which no one is immune and that it goes on all the time. And then later on, they went off on how they created a vaccine and that people were going insane and that the only the elderly could get it first. And Mr. Burns, being the oldest of everybody in Springfield, basically jumps in front of the line, steals all the vaccine and goes, well, I got to take care of the hounds. So <laughs> it begs the question once again, like, did they predict COVID? Or is it that, hey, because we're living in this right now, this is more prevalent, this makes more sense. Because I know when I first saw this episode, I didn't think anything mm-hmm. of it. It was just like, oh, wow, what a funny concept. And now I'm, right. I've am i been stuck in my house for over a year. And it's just like, huh. <laughs> like, it's starting to make a little <laughs> more sense now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the, you know, and that's the other thing, right? You know, one of the other questions that we probably have to ask is, is human behavior just that predictable, right? Is that something that has been shown through, I don't know, past events that, you know, we go through it again, maybe in a different form, but, you know, are we just kind of like recycling, recycling the the wheel here? And does that necessarily mean that, you know, that the artist himself was, is privy to certain like behaviors that are, that stem from panic, right? Or certain behaviors that stem from, yeah, because that's that's part of your job too, right? You have to be realistic in knowing how certain stimuli affect people. Oh yeah. Um. So, so I think that that's something that that's also that could be considered too. Um. You know, did he know that we were going to go through this in our lifetime? I don't know. And maybe you know, was he just given the god hand to to write <laughs> to write future events without even having the full knowledge of doing it? Right. I mean, these are things that yeah. that you know one could question. So. The, um, you know, Martin Chains, by the way, I definitely we just want to stop by and say that I really enjoyed the episode as well because, you know, taking Marge out of the stimuli and seeing, like, what would happen without Marge and how, you know, how Marge is such a central key part of Springfield uh, definitely, you know, definitely was, like, oh, eye-opening in a sense, too. Like, uh, you know, I, I think that I think that Marge is a low-key, like, you know, profound character, and she's probably—I think one of the one, one of my favorites on the show. To be honest with you, she's typically like one of my least favorites, but she does add a lot of backbone. She seems to always be the moral deciding factor behind a lot of the yes. characters, and yes. I think that might actually be a good transition into the next point: is the cast and crew of The Simpsons. What makes, at least in my eyes, The Simpsons so amazing is that they've developed an entire world in this fictional town. But there come some problems because part of The Simpsons, their whole shtick is that they're very satirical. They're always trying to make light of situations. And it dances on that fence of stereotyping versus satire in which... Does how does stereotyping work? And then how far can they satirize a specific person or topic before the irony and the sarcasm and the ridicule becomes too offensive? And I I think I want to touch upon specifically what these two things are before asking you about them and maybe even one specific character. 
So sure. stereotypes are most often just offensive generalizations that lack validity due to their oversimplification, while satire is intended to expose a moral folly or hypocrisy. So my question to you is, is stereotyping only counted towards characters of color or is it towards everybody? And then following up, how far can they push the envelope before what they're doing might be considered or construed as offensive? <laughs> Man, that first question is, that first question depends on who you ask, right? Um, yeah, I think you know that's definitely, the stereotyping count toward characters of color and that, or, or does it count toward everyone? And that's a very, very good question. I think that's where we kind of find ourselves here today, right? Where, um, there's a part there's a part of society that that is checking itself right part of i guess part of life that you know that's saying that hey you know all the stuff that had that we've talked about in the past and that we found humor in the past um you know has caused you know has caused a you know issue with you know how people are seen perceived and also how they're you know how they're progressing right in, in life you know if they will always be seen as these um you know these caricatures of of what they're depicted as then they, they, there can never be some some true growth or you can't really see the true person because you always see that caricature um you know satire is not a career of responsibility and that's something that we have to you know that's something that as, as fans we kind of have to understand right uh, satire is almost like a reflection of what's going on in the world at that at this part as particular moment um, with the Simpsons, especially, you know, you, you would think that I would venture saying that, oh, the Simpsons is such a show that, that it perpetuates on stereotypes. I don't actually take that position. Um, I, you know, in certain cases, yeah, uh, you know, there, there are certain things that need to be checked and obviously there has to be some evolution, right? As time, as time goes on, because inevitably things get, you know, reviewed revamped and renewed and when we get an opportunity to see that something that we have said 20 years ago is now affecting you know a particular population in question you know and we said it in jest back then or we said it with no with no real intention because we're citizens we don't see the bigger picture we don't see the future we don't see the the results or the the uh, the consequences of our of our words right and we always think that we're you know six and stones can make break my bones and words can never hurt me that's that's what we grew up thinking back in in the day and that's becoming now antiquated knowledge the simpsons you know is definitely a good reflection or good like good show to see depending on what year it is it almost archives what are what what are what our societal views are right um i kind of look at it as almost a reference point as to where we were you know as a society or mentally during that time so like when i look at you know a joke that was told in 1997 do i hold it to the metric that i hold something that is, is a joke in 2021 it's two different things it's apples and oranges um you know we've we made our mistakes in the past i guess right that that that's that's something that we kind of have to come to grips with like we're here because of our past and our past has got us, has gotten us this far, has gotten us here. Um, and if we want to take on a view of moral responsibility, right. We now we also have to check what that means. Um, you know, the stereotype itself, so taking a, so taking a stereotype, um, you know, I don't like to perpetuate stereotypes. I think it's low hanging fruit, right. 
Um, you know, you, if, if you want to be, if you want to be more sophisticated, you can definitely find something more than, than what, than what's getting deep. Of course, obviously, you know, ingest, you know, when, when, when it's done from, you know, a, a smart enough or sophisticated enough comedian to, to kind of address it, you know, bring light to it, make it funny and then have that twist at the end that wasn't necessarily about that in, in the beginning. Um, you know, that, that's masterfully done. But again, like if if what you're saying is harnessing those same feelings that you have outpour outreach for society, then guess what? That's when it becomes an issue, and in, in, in it's um, you know, in, in its in its execution. Uh, does the Simpsons embody that, right? Because that you know, Simpsons are satirists from you know, longest running satirists in in, in all of entertainment today. So, um, do I do I do I find their their, their particular brand of comedy offensive? You know. It, it's going to happen sometimes, you know, in, in that line of work, you're going to cross a few lines, um, you know, and I don't think that anybody who, who writes this, who writes these things, they do it in the sense where they're doing it from a place of um, malice, but maybe not necessarily a full sensitivity toward a particular topic or not fully understanding an, an issue. Also, with that in that same vein, and I know that, again, this is kind of like a contrast of both ideas. But it is not just one thing either. Um, on, on that same, on that same, in that same token, there's also a sense of research that is done before a lot of like comedy is, is this type of comedy is being laid out, right? So they do have these focus groups. They do try to see who you know to what particular markets these things are funny to, and um, you know, at, at the end of the day, like comedy, you know, just like everything else, is a business. And one of the things that they try to do to try to reach as many homes and try to make as many people think things are funny as possible. Um, uh, and yeah, uh, do is stereotyping, you know, only for people of color? No. I mean, anybody can, any, everybody has negative and positive stereotypes for people and, or what we can deem as negative and positive. I don't think that stereotyping is limited to, to, to one group. Um, it's a matter of how we hold those stereotypes though. And acknowledging that these things are stereotypes and they don't apply to everybody. It's not a one size fits all model. I think the real question I have to ask, do satirists have a moral responsibility to give educated comedy? And if that's the question here, the, you know, I probably would, would, would venture to say that it has to be done with research. And if you're going to do something as, as, um, as, and I'm going to use the word dangerous, and I don't mean dangerous in the sense that it's going to be really, really harmful, but, you know, it, it could be harmful to the person who's writing it because, again, not everybody sees the same view that you do through the same lens. Uh, and that's where we, you know, we get into problems, right? Because one thing that may be funny to one person is really personal to another. Does the satirist have a moral responsibility to anyone? You know, that's, yes, they do to have, a, a, you know, well-informed comedy, um, well-informed comedy and make sure that, uh, if you are going to do that, you don't you don't diminish a whole race or a whole group of people in your comedy, right? You, you have to make sure you don't put anybody down. You, you know, if you're going to do a type of joke, you kind of have to let them back up again. And uh, what you call it? They, for example, in in, in the Who Shot Mr. Burns episode, right? Uh, they had Tito Puente on the show. Connects to me personally because I, I'm a Puerto Rican descent. So, you know, when 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 they had Tito Puente, they started making those jokes, right? You know your ears perk up a little bit, and one of the things that you, you know you, you start listening to it a little more carefully and kind of analyzing what some of these comments that he's making, um, you know, if he's being funny or if he's just being that stereotype, right? And the last thing that I would want 
is for Tito Puente to be identified as a spick, right? Because I think he's one of the few Latin heroes that we do have. So um, I definitely see, you know, it, it, I think it also has to do with representation as well. Like, who is your representation? Who represents you? The more people you have representing you, right, uh, the less you're going to feel the damage taken from, you know, from the uh, from the remark or the joke. Because you can you can easily dismiss that and say that does not apply to me. But the more, you know, the less representation you have, the more you feel like it does, in fact, apply to you or your people more more directly. Yeah, I, I, I love that you mentioned <laughs> representation. I love that you mentioned that and said, like, having certain heroes within certain outlets that you can, like, look up to. Because one character I wanted to actually bring up was Apu. And for Apu. those that don't know who Apu is, Apu Nahasapita Petalon is an Indian immigrant who runs the Quickie Mart. He has a yep. PhD from Calcutta Tech. He has a wife that he met through an arranged marriage called Manjula. And they had eight yep. glorious children, the octuplets, called Sashi, Priya, Anup, Geet, Punam, Uma, Sandeep, and Nabendu. He caused and stirred a ton of flack in the Indian community and subsequently for the, the Simpsons. So Apu first appeared in the episode The Telltale Head in season one, episode eight, which aired in on February 25th of 1990. So he's been basically in the show since the get. He had right. literally one line in that episode, and it was 35 cents, please. And then through that, he was given other episodes in which they kind of fleshed him out. And throughout the years in which how they fleshed him out, they banked off of Indian stereotypes. They had him working at a grocery store. They had him doing the very deep Indian accent. They had him mm -hmm. go and get married through an arranged marriage. They did all of these things. And I, as like a Caucasian male, I never really paid attention to it because again, it, not that it did or didn't affect me, but I just, I didn't think too much into it. Then come 2017, a documentary was made by Hari Kondabalu uh, called The Problem with Apu. Mm -hmm. The guy's a comedian in which the entire premise of this documentary is about 45 minutes to an hour. He talks about the negative stereotypes, the racial microaggressions and slurs against the Indian heritage. And as he was speaking, like a lot more of it made sense. And as you just stated with like Tito Puentes, that uh, the representation, a lot of his arguments and the individuals that he interviewed, their arguments were, we didn't have many, if any, Indian representatives to show who they were. So what they got was Apu and what he brought to the table wasn't necessarily the best view of who he, his family and his, his people were because he brought mm -hmm. up the points and I thought it was comical. I always like just overlooked those points because I, I just remember the episodes where it's like, yeah, no, I actually have like a PhD. Like I'm actually well-learned, but they show him in these negative lights where he's being deceptive, you know, selling old meats, things fall on the floor. He resells them just, all this stuff right. and he mentioned in his documentary how you know it's extremely offensive how they portrayed him to just be this kind of character and i you know having looked at it from that vantage like it does make sense 
And yeah. even the, the fact that they were like, oh, Hank Azaria is a white guy impersonating a Middle Eastern guy. He's like, that's basically the equivalent of blackface. Like, that that's our blackface. And the right. Simpsons, in two subsequent episodes after that aired, kind of touched upon, like, what he was saying. So, um... In this episode, season 27, episode 12, Much Apu About Something, which aired in 2016, the episode was primarily about stereotyping. So the episode was The Quickie Mart Gets Destroyed, Apu's Americanized nephew, Jamshed, or Jamshed, aptly named Jay, he rebuilds it. And Apu and his nephew eventually butt heads in uh, Luigi's restaurant over the direction of the store, claiming that each one of them is... A, old stereotypes and cliches. One is the old Indian archetype and the other of a millennial. And in the documentary, the, the guy that voiced uh, the nephew Jay was there and he suggested something that, quite frankly, I thought was a lot funnier than how the episode ended. He was saying mm. when they had that, you know, passionate argument in the restaurant about stereotyping and how they're offensive, he said he wanted to add the line yeah, that's almost as offensive as a white guy voicing a Middle Eastern. And then they wanted, his suggestion was that they pan over to Hank Azaria in the booth doing the Apu voice. And I heard that. I, I hysterical laughed. Like, I was watching this documentary laughing uncontrolled because I thought that would have been priceless. Where it's just like, yeah. oh, look, the punchline is right in your face. Clearly, Simpsons were not <laughs> right. about that. And then... Yeah. In a later episode, season 29, episode 15, No Good Read Goes Unpunished, which aired in 2018, they tried to acknowledge the problem and tried to not necessarily retcon the issue, but acknowledge the issue. So in that episode, Marge introduces Lisa to her favorite childhood book. As they read it, she is very much shocked by the racial stereotypes and attempts to rewrite it for modern sensitivity. So something you actually mentioned earlier, where, you know, mm. yeah, this old stuff that was maybe comical and funny in the 90s, and now you're in 2021, yeah. things aren't necessarily the same. So she rewrites the entire book, Marge, and as she's reading it to her daughter, Lisa's bored out of her face, and Marge asks what she should do. And then Lisa replies, breaking the fourth wall, looks straight at the screen and goes, it's hard to say something that started decades ago and was applauded and inoffensive is now politically incorrect. What can you do? And then they ever mm. so innocently pan over to Apu's portrait on her, on her nightstand. So they've tried mm. to acknowledge the stereotype that they've done. And right. due to all of this outrage from the Indian community, Hank Azari has actually stepped down for voicing Apu and feels like he won't do it until they address the growing concerns of this reinforced stereotype and they decide to give him a new personality. Since then, and oh, yeah, literally since that episode aired basically, so season 29, yeah. 30, 31, 32, for about three, four years, Apu has shown up in the show, hasn't had any talking words, any talking lines. So they've literally just made him a background character. Mm. so it's a little crazy because like you think to yourself like is it oh 
like clearly it's not okay but if it's done tastefully because i think to myself as an italian american look at the list of characters that i have to look up to in the simpsons don marion anthony d'amico you know who that is uh don marion anthony d'amico that's one person right that's one individual <laughs> oh i mean it has to be fat tony then it's fat tony <laughs> <laughs> then, then we got his his cast of cronies. We got we got legs. We got Louis. My favorite, Giovanni Silencio, aka Johnny Tightlips. They're all mobsters. And then lastly, one of the most prominently known Italians, a Luigi Rosotto, <laughs> who owns Luigi's restaurant. Yeah, Luigi Rosotto. And. You think to yourselves, like, what do they add to The Simpsons? <laughs> one. Like, most of them are just, like, angry mobsters. And one owns an Italian restaurant who has basically been doing The Voice just to get people to come eat at his restaurant. And in that regard, it's just like, man, as an Italian, I should be offended by this. But then I reflect and say, well, you know what? We also do have a lot more prominent actors of that ethnicity and actresses of that ethnicity that at least say, hey, look, we're more than just tired stereotypes were more than just this so like i i get their point yeah absolutely and mm-hmm. fat tony right his his cast and crew and luigi risotto apu um you know it you know it just makes me it makes me think that you know how fortunate for carl that he's 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 just a he's just a drinking buddy of homer simpson because i wouldn't want to see what his character would actually be like you know well, no, the funny uh, thing is they actually did flesh out Carl, though. So, like, you got to see I'm into sure they Carl's did. I mean, life. Season draft. Yeah, no, like, they, I think he, uh, they made one minor line in one of the episodes about how he's Icelandic, and then they went to, like, Iceland. <laughs> and yeah. found out that, like, his family were a bunch of traitors, some BS like that. So, like, they were yeah. able to flesh out a lot of characters to have some type of relevance and prominence. Yeah. Why didn't like Apu kind of get the same thing? And if they did, why did it always have to be in the stereotypical route? He's written as messed up as the rest of them too, right? And that's the other thing. Yeah. Like, um, at one point, you know, people weren't looking that deeply into race and you know nationalities, cultures, and things like that, right? It was kind of done almost tangentially with just having characters on the show meant diversity. We're no longer of that vein anymore, right? And I think we've gotten a lot smarter and a lot more informed and a lot better at determining the fact that, you know, like making a making a joke about a person's culture or whatever, or a person's like, you know, practices, right, affects not just one person, but, you know, a, a society at, as a whole, you know, being objective about it, right? It sets the tone, right, about, you know, in support of what you're saying, it sets the tone for what people see, like what people, you know, what people determine and what narrative can be, can be spun in regards to humor. Some of it, you know, some of it is good. I mean, as I said, being a Dave Chappelle fan, right, you know, he, 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 he struggled with this at one point as well, right? At what point are my jokes making light of a situation? Or at what joke? At what point are my jokes putting myself and my people down? That kind of responsibility toward toward you know uh, comedy or like like good foundational educational comedy that you know is timeless. 
if they bring back Apu, I hope that you know they they they, they give him the they give him more depth and more character development. But then I know that he can he can get you know as I said he doesn't have to be just one thing. And uh, having the nephew there was really cool as well. I thought that that was something that we you know we could have definitely tried. I mean that's a cool dynamic that would have been would have been fun to explore. I don't you know the characters that you have in The Simpsons. I mean they all have some inherent purpose. Since the Simpsons are owned by Disney, which apparently they predicted that too. Uh, I forgot which episode that was, but they showed a 20th Century Fox logo, and at the very bottom it says a division of the Disney Corporation. So, you know, Mm -hmm. to to tie back into that. Disney, what they do is, if if you own Disney+, Plus, they have like little PSAs at the beginning of a lot of their older films. Because as you stated earlier, you know, we're in 2021. We can't account for the crap that was said in like the 40s and 50s and 60s. They leave instead yep. of taking the stuff down, right? They leave a little PSA basically stating, times were different back then. We apologize if this offends you. Yeah. We are leaving this up as a way to show you how not to be and to improve creative writing and creative thoughts on how to come to better solutions on whatever. Like, I don't remember verbatim what it says, but... Is that how we put like a bandaid on this bullet hole where like, hey, let's leave a little note at the very beginning saying, hey, we acknowledge that some of these individuals or characters are offensive and that's how we kind of prevent the blowback? Yeah, I mean, that's a responsible thing to do. I I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I I don't think we should take down that type of content, especially because, um, you know, it it is something to learn from. You know, it is something to, to... essentially grow and become better from but you know that's the other thing i mean the purpose that people will go back and watch it isn't to say like oh how irresponsible that was of you it's to laugh at it and find it funny right so i mean i don't know uh you know i think that i think i i think that the concept the con that the way that disney did it is the right way um put it up there you know let, let people know that this is of a different time and different ilk and have other individuals, you know, like have us assess it for ourselves. Because guess what? Not for nothing. I mean, although I may not agree with the the stuff that was that was put up there, you know, like it definitely gives me the education of knowing that that stuff was there. You know, I, I see it. You know, I see it in in both in both veins. But I see it more so in the sense that we can't omit that from completely from from the annals of history. We can grow, you know, we can grow in the sense that we don't want to glorify certain things anymore, so we don't have to perpetuate them, right? The laws of, of the United States protect these 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 free speech moments, even though they might be, you know, shitty parts of our history. Um, so it's, you know, whether I like it or not, that that's irrelevant. You know, people people do have the right to say whatever their opinion is from from their from their point of view. And, you know. Do do I want to hear the same type of humor that was perpetuated in the nineteen sixties today? No, I don't. You know, I don't. Um, you know, it depends on what it is, right? I mean, that's I you know, I could listen to some, you know, Richard Pryor, you know, but but some of the some of the you know, really egregious like comedy and, you know, jokes that were meant to offend and put down to hurt another another people another person's race. I say, you know, fuck it, leave it up there because, you know, it it, it it doesn't you know it, it reminds people that people were like this you know like and we should you know we should we should say like yo that that, that that type of savagery is no longer warranted here you know but that should be our decision to make and we should be doing that 
you know, as a society, I think with, with, with clear minds and free will to say, hey, listen, you know, like, I don't want to be this or I don't want our, our, our society to be this anymore. You know, let, let's, let's start to build a more inclusive one. And the fact that Disney now owns The Simpsons, I was actually going to ask you, um, the Disneyfied Simpsons, right? Because the more recent episodes are under that, that Disney umbrella. Have you noticed the difference between the new Disney and uh, the, the new Disney Simpsons and the and the Disney's of the of the past? A little bit. I was actually going to bring that up in the next segment, so I will actually answer that in a little bit. I did want to piggyback on one thing that you said, since it does go under the umbrella of what we were discussing about stereotypes and satire. Sure. You mentioned the First Amendment, right? Yeah. One of the episodes, season 13, episode 15, Blame It on Lisa, was a whole episode basically where the family goes to Rio and the Simpsons actually got sued for it. Uh, It, on April 6th of 2002, the Brazilian media said that they were planning on suing Fox for damaging the international image of the city. They were portrayed as having rep in street crime, kidnapping slums, and rat infestation. And they thought that it would be discouraging foreign visitors from visiting their city. Mm. And that, mm-hmm. again, shows satire maybe going a little bit too far. And mm-hmm. when they found out that like it would go against our First Amendment freedom of speech, they kind of pulled back. And the executive producer, James L. Brooks, actually made two statements on this. He said, one... He was very shocked by this because this was the first time anybody had ever been like had complained about being on their show. (laughs) And then he followed up by stating, quote, we apologize to the lovely city and people of Rio de Janeiro. And if that doesn't settle the issue, Homer Simpson offers to take on the president of Brazil on Fox's celebrity boxing. So even when they're in like this hot water, Mm -hmm. tell me how they still crack a joke about it. (laughs) <laughs> like look if you're still pissed i will we will find a way to animate our main character trying to mess up or getting messed up by your president <laughs> all right i th- i think we milked that topic and i'm glad that you mentioned um about disney simpsons the modern simpsons before we move on what do you, do you happen to know what Rio's response to 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 the Simpsons apology was? No, I don't. Why do you? All right. No, no, I, I wanted. Oh, I just wanted just... To, to see if uh, they responded. Um, and the second, the second question I had, essentially, right, is the Simpsons is a show, right? That you know, especially back in the day, like. Like a lot of the things that you hear, like on on the Fox News Network, right? They they were constantly, and this is just not just Fox News. It's just like definitely like conservative programming, right? You see, like there's a lot of of, of that type of humor and those types of jokes. And, mm-hmm. Um, it also seems like it's also political satire as well, right? Because there's a lot of you know interwoven jokes that that joke on both the liberal and the conservative side. Um, you almost don't even know where they stand sometimes on certain issues, right? Because they go back and forth a lot of the time, even though like, again, mostly, you know, they're, they're taking shots at Fox because that is their parent network and not only taking shots at their parent network. I mean, they're also kind of, you know, making fun of the ideals or the ideas of the, of, of the other side of, of the aisle. Question being, does the Simpsons tote the political line, like at a very balanced level or does it favor one side more than the other in your in your view and seeing how many episodes you've seen 
So do they, you're basically asking, do they draw a line at a specific topic? Like or, specifically political? Yeah, I guess more so political, right? I mean, because the thing is, it seems that they have, as I said, I mean, and, and they have it through their characters too, right? Like, yeah. You see like it, where religion plays a point where you have the character of Ned Flanders. You, you can see the, the, the political nature of the mayor and there's like so many different, you know, pieces thrown in there. The commentary by well, Lisa and they... the family. They oh. try their best to let it be known who's a part of, like, what party and, like, yeah. how that party's necessarily portrayed. And from what I've noticed, having been, like, an avid follower from, like, the first episode till now, seeing it throughout my years, so of being able to see it through the eyes of, like, a child, as, a, like, a teen, as an adult, they do touch upon certain points. They don't necessarily, like, say who they, they are for, I feel like they've been a little more vocal on the past few years in regards to Trump. Like I know um, Treehouse of Horror, either thirty or thirty-one. Don't don't quote me on which one. But the opening segment was Homer trying to vote for who was going to be the next president, and mm-hmm. <laughs> right after the vote happens, they found out like I think Trump won again, and they segue into like the whole world being an apocalyptic mess and whether it was just them joking or them giving their viewpoints, who knows, but it also ties into what was said earlier by Matt Groening that, you know, that's how we saw that America was going insane. So was that him cracking a joke or was that a political stance? It's hard to really say. So I I don't know how to necessarily approach that one because it begs the question because I don't have the context being there with those individuals to say like was that meant to be a political joke was that like your personal views through the eyes of these characters or was it just like a quick punchline yeah absolutely back in the day they had it was like for them i guess safer to make more conservative humor right to you know almost with a with with a conservative tinge in their in 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 their in their um observational comedy now it's now it seems to take more of that liberal tinge right but that's you know, it, it, but it's also a sign of the time. So yeah, I, I wanted to ask and kind of get your perspective on that and see what you notice. Apologies for interrupting the flow. I just wanted to oh, no, no. get the... Uh, again, I think that would still <laughs> be good content to add to it. So if you want to leave it in, go for it. But yeah, you know to, to follow up with what was being said, the next snippet, because I'm glad that you brought up how Disney Simpsons is it the same or is it different. The next topic, yeah. which is towards the tail end of this whole thing is is 30 years too long? And the, the subsequent questions would be, what are the elements that have helped the show's popularity and longevity? And then, is The Simpsons still good? And I was thinking also, as one other final question to it, was due to how long it is, clearly it's got to come to an end sometime, is predictions on how the show could end or should end when the time does come. So... As some background knowledge, Simpsons first aired, as we already said, in December of 89 with the episode Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire. In 2021, present day, there is 32 seasons, an estimated 700 episodes, and they've already been renewed for two more seasons. So we know we're going to get at least another 44 episodes of The Simpsons before they possibly call it quits. So talk to me. What do you think? Has... What are the elements that have helped The Simpsons be so popular and 
stay and keep this longevity going. All right. So there's not just one reason that this that this show has been going on for so long. I mean, one, it is definitely a pioneer of its kind, right? Simpsons has sparked so many other shows of its ilk. It kind of almost created its own its own genre to a certain degree. And I'm sure that there's been other like animated satire comedies to that point, right? But the way that The Simpsons is laid out, it's a very, very unique platform and identifiable when you see another uh, another TV show go ahead and do it. Um, it's referenced by almost any adult animation ever, like any like cartoon that, you know, you, you'll get it from the South Park. You'll get it from the uh, from Rick and Morty. You'll get it from Futurama. You'll get it from American Dad. You'll get it from every single place, a family guy. You name it, you'll get it, you know, and quite frankly, it's referenced because it's the holy grail of that type of uh, that type of comedy. Uh, 30 seasons is too long. You know, when I look at The Simpsons and I look at its longevity, <laughs> even though after the first movie, I thought it was definitely gratuitous to keep on going with the show. Like, I thought it was going to continue to be this cash grab. I was like, yo, what, what more can you possibly do with these characters? Um to be honest with you, after seeing, you know, bouncing around, seeing different different episodes throughout throughout the history of The Simpsons, you know, they still find ways to keep it unique and 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 that's the other thing. You keep it unique, but you also keep it topical. It's great to keep putting it out, right? Because it also shows an archive of where we were in, you know, 2014, where we were in 1997, where we were in uh, 2001 and, you know, where we are in 2021, you know? So what I'm learning now that, you know, you're taking these characters and you've, as you said, you've created this world, right? All you have to do is kind of mix and match dynamics. And there was this one, this one episode, which I think we didn't necessarily get a chance to speak about the one where Smithers comes out, right. And tells, tells Mr. Burns how he feels about him. And, um, yeah, Mr. Burns, you know, then reacts, you know, basically says, doesn't need, you know, I don't even give you the time of day. Um, you know, it hurt, it, it hurt Smithers. He gets hooked up with somebody and that inevitably, like, uh, you know, quits his job, goes to, uh, you know, goes down to Cuba, if I'm not mistaken, right? It was Cuba. Uh, and, you know, finds out that he still has feelings for Burns no matter what, goes back and sits down, sits down at the bowl with, where uh, sits down at the bar at Moe's, which you never see him at, speaking to Millhouse of all people, which you never seen those two interact. Um, and Millhouse's story comes starts from, you know, he's the understudy of a play to a new student who just came in, who fits the role of Casablanca amazingly well. He was about to get that starting role, but he got undercut for it and became the understudy. Funny thing that he says about it is, none of those words make me feel good <laughs> like under and study right like so it's it, <laughs> it, it's very interesting and that's also like a, a commentary about how we use language that comment of understudy as much of that's a, a joke now in a, in a bubble or at that time you know 10 years from that point right no matter what time it is it'll probably be, re- be reviewed and somebody's gonna look at understudy and say oh that has a, a negative connotation it doesn't make the person feel good that they're that they're, they're understudy. So they're going to change the language to make it seem as if they have more of a prominent role in the show to kind of keep the motivation high. That's the ideology.
to go through Milhouse's episode, right? He, you know, same episode, Milhouse, you know, is, is trying to learn how to play the lead role. And Lisa, who's, who plays opposite Milhouse in Casablanca, really wants the person. Uh, I forget the kid's name. Do you remember? No. The, there's a whole yeah. lot of TV. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Especially uh, for like a one-off yeah. character. Yeah, it was a, so basically he was a one-off character. And yeah, he... He was there, you know, he, you know, what you call it, Bart put a hit on him and he beat up the bullies. And that that, that was where Principal Skinner was like, ah, oh, he can't be part of the play. Puts on the face of um, uh, of Milhouse, does the play wonderfully. And you find out that Milhouse had actually no part in the play at all. He has feelings for Lisa. Smithers has feelings for Burns. And they have this heart-to-heart at the bar where, uh, what you call it, Smithers has this profound statement. That he tells, he tells uh, Milhouse. I don't remember verbatim, but it was basically on the along the lines of just things. You know, things don't turn out. You know how 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 you always want them, basically. Um, and all in all, you know, there's some conflict resolution at the end, of course. I mean, and that 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 takes the episode. You still manage to find really really good content in a show that has been going on for so long. It's like, how do you keep it new? How do you keep it fresh? Ask the writers of South Park how they do it, you know. Uh, what you call it? all the all the humor that you see is right in front of you this whole time because we are the joke. And that that that's the, that's what the Simpsons really portrays, right? Who who is who is the joke here? Is you know it's not these characters, it's us, right? And you know it basically the whole society is being played out through these through these cartoon characters. Um, you know, how, how much longer can this thing possibly go? That's a very good question. And quite frankly, you know, I thought, I thought the show was going to be done 15 seasons ago, but they still garner enough of an audience to stay, to stay relevant, to stay alive and to stay, you know, stay active. TV isn't what it once was either, right? TV was, you know, TV viewing, viewership across the board has gone down. People, you know, people are more into gaming and streaming and all these other avenues and platforms. Like TVs, two TVs of the wayside. So, you know, the mere fact that The Simpsons and I'm just gonna spitball. Like, how much viewership does The Simpsons actually get, right? And they still stay over a million viewers, you know, consistently on Sundays when they're active. So, you know, who's to say, like, when you know, when they call it quits? As long as they still have viewers and still making a profit, you know, like they can they can theoretically keep this thing going for as long as they want. Um, but I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to venture to say that, you know, they're not going to make it to 40, but then again, who knows? <laughs> Quite frankly, I didn't think they were going to make it after the, uh, the movie. And yeah, that was, yeah. again, we're going to be getting close to that movie being about 17 years old. Cause it Dude, came out I don't just, think Power Rangers going to make it after their first movie. No, it's I thought about, I was like, yo, this is really, they peaked. You know what I mean? Maybe one, two seasons, that's it. It's over. What more, you know? Yeah, it's about, I think, thought, 15 years old, give or take that movie. 15 years old. That's crazy. Or maybe I just don't know how to subtract. But it's it's at least 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk about the movie later on. But yes, yeah, absolutely. What about you, man? Um, do you think 30, 30 years is too long? Simpsons is still good? Well, or do you think, you know... Why hasn't it been canceled? It, why 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 think it's still around? The irony is is um, many people don't actually know this, but the reason their skin color is yellow was it was it was done to get them noticed. So Groaning thought that as people were flipping the channels on their TVs, mm-hmm. the yellow would stand out to them and it would be intrigued on why they should watch this show. 
And the irony is, like, they thought that that was going to be the thing that would make them last a long time and be popular. But I think it was the fact that they were so ambitious. They're intimate. They're classical. They're experimental. They're hip. They're corny. And they're altogether free in its conviction that the imagination should go wherever it wants is what makes it so popular. And you inquired earlier, do I think Disney Simpsons is as good as old Simpsons? I, I'm going to have to go with the my typical, like, it's good and it's bad. Because mm. is, it, is it still good? Yeah, the series has evolved through literally three decades. It's trying to keep up with the trends. It's doing all these fantastic things. But what makes it bad is that because it's running so long, a lot of the concepts and ideas that they've been doing have already been repeated and milked, it feels like, for so much. And sometimes, like, even the the storylines themselves are outlandish. Like, there was one episode, and it wasn't a Halloween episode. It wasn't, like, one of the non-canonical episodes. The Simpsons were just, like, screwing around. And then they got abducted by Kang and Kodos, and they were brought to Rigel 7, and they were put into a zoo. And it made light of the situation. Like, it was basically like a Twilight Zone episode. And it was like... It, it came out of complete left field. Like you didn't expect that to happen. And it, not that it took me out of like, it took me out of my zone, but it was so yeah. out of the blue that it, it, it didn't seem like the Simpsons. Cause although they're a cartoon, they try to stay as realistic as possible, despite how wacky some of their antics could be. But mm. The fact that they were like, oh, yeah, no, now we're in space. We're talking to aliens and crap. Like, it just, it didn't feel like a typical them episode. And, yes. And they, they have all of these like amazing episodes that they could easily develop and work with. Cause you mentioned before the, right. um, the Smithers coming out to Mr. Burns, right? They have talked mm-hmm. about homosexuality in The Simpsons a plethora of times and a lot of yeah. times coincidentally enough it wasn't necessarily like a positive light because every time homer Whoa. would that's, that's a good point yeah would Going assume somebody the, yeah. was gay like he would have a very negative outlook on it so one of the first episodes that actually approached this topic was season eight episode 15 homer's phobia which came out in 97 and in the episode mm-hmm. they needed money they were selling stuff like marge's old heirlooms and the owner of the shop john basically was very cordial was very polite he and homer hit it off beautifully and then once he found out that the character john was gay he became a complete asshole to him he was like i don't want my son anywhere near him he's going to be a negative influence he's going to turn my son gay and right then at the, the the turning point the theme of the episode was don't judge a book by its cover you found out that john was actually a good guy and the, the episode itself actually won, like, an award for the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. They claimed that it was a shining example of how to bring intelligent, fair, and funny representation of the community into television. When right. Fox initially saw the episode, they were actually kicking it back. They were like, you can't do this, you can't discuss that. And despite, like, augmenting and changing, like, some of the words up, mm-hmm. they they basically went about doing it and you take the same premise of, you know, homosexuality, instead of it being about the guy, John it's now about Waylon Smithers. And by having that episode, 
being in the era that they were in, they basically retconned an entire character because it was always the, the punchline, the running joke was, oh, he's closeted, he's gay, he doesn't want to come out. So they literally augmented an entire character by making canonical that he is gay. And they kind of took away all the jokes that surrounded him. And there was an article, I don't remember who wrote it. Uh, let me double check my notes. Anna Leskovitz, I think I definitely said that wrong. Their response was that the homosexuality was being treated in a more mature way on The Simpsons, but that change should have been made at least a decade ago. So mm. there's a lot of these things where there are so many prominent topics that one could talk about in this TV show. And yeah. even if they're repeating that discussion, there are ways that they can now open their eyes to what is being said to maybe appeal to a newer audience. And I think that's one of the shining lights of The Simpsons because it is very inherently innate in our culture. Like, The Simpsons created a word. Like, it's in the dictionary. It was never there before. The word embiggens. Dough? No, no. Oddly enough, not the word dough. Embiggens. Literally, the mantra of the Springfield town. The noble spirit embiggens the noblest man. Or the smallest man. The word embiggens was never a thing. They even made a joke about it in that episode when they mentioned the noble spirit embiggens the smallest man. Edna Krabappel yeah. goes, in Biggins, I've never heard these words until I moved to Springfield. To which Miss <laughs> Hoover then goes, it's quite the cromulent word. And by all accounts, like your your mind as a kid goes, oh, they made up another funny word, cromulent. Cromulent's actually a word. So they 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 made light of how like some of these words are so nonsensical that they should yeah. be real or vice versa. They actually made a word. So... Wow. Yeah. And just the impact it's having on us as a people, it has an impact, like you said, on all these other TV shows. Yep. And my goodness, I didn't make this clear before when I said satire versus stereotyping. Shoot. Uh, I'm going to kind of go back for a second. And and and, uh, and the Wayland Smithers episode really, like, definitely got me back on, on, on that thought, right? Because, you know, even... Definitely homosexuality it definitely has a lot of stereotypes that go along with it. From the parachute, right? That that, that was a rainbow flag from to the comedy that you know, I guess they were squeezing out a few last jokes there. One of the things that I'm gonna talk about, I guess, in terms of uh, stereotyping and satire, right? Satire the point of satire is to uh call attention to a joke, to bring light to it, to to educate people on, on a certain on a certain topic, right? So they use their joke for educational purposes to a to a certain degree. Uh, stereotyping is coming from a place where an individual looks at a person and they kind of give it a generalization. Um, and that doesn't necessarily, you know, educate or feed into, you know, or feed into that narrative, right? I think The Simpsons does both. They stereotype and they satire. And whenever they get called out, I mean... I think we go back to this, right? One, one, one rule a lot of comedians make is that they don't apologize for anything that they say on stage or they don't apologize for any jokes that they make, right? Because, you know, doing, doing that to one is going to require you to do that to everybody. 
you, you know, jokes in its inherent in, in its inherent nature are offensive, and you know they you know they they aren't necessarily created to to mind our feelings or anything like that. So, but good humor takes those things into account. The the punchline definitely shows the the end result. Like it shows what what the intention behind behind that comedy is. Um, yeah, I mean, and it, you know, it hasn't gotten canceled because it's been doing so long. It, it's been doing that for so long. It's been toting that line for so long. And uh, you know, there's not many other you know shows that can do that. No, I, I agree. Like you you mentioned that it's satire and stereotyping, and I think that that's part of the appeal is that they'll give you a backhand of something real and then they caress the part they hit with the front palm. So it's like, mm. man, you hit me over the head with this, but you know what? I, I feel a little okay with it now. Like you, the, yeah. of that episode of Smithers, right. Where he comes out, you mentioned how he parachuted gave, uh, he had the gay pride flag and then like he openly expressed his feelings. Yeah. And they were trying to explain like, and satirize like, the plight of i guess coming out and then they hit you with another stereotype because then right after like homer and marge did the whole tinder date where they had everybody come to their house so they can set up smithers he ends up dating quite arguably one of the most stereotypical like ideas of what like a gay dude is was like this flaming spanish hairdresser yeah that had like a higher yeah yeah and, you know, was from Cuba and how he presented himself. It was just like, oh, man, we're trying to open up and say, like, oh, these are some things that certain individuals go through. Boom, we're going to hit you with another stereotype. <laughs> and then they satirized it at the end, too, where, you know, coming to terms with who you are and, like, circumstances. So you're, you're 100% right, where they have fine, they, they draw that fine line in the sand and they know how to dance around it. And I think that might be part of the reason why their longevity has been going so well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, I know, I know one of the questions you also asked, right, is how the show possibly could end or yeah. should end at the time. Yeah. How do you think? Man. You know, I, I said this to you jokingly, Rody, on uh, off air, but I'm afraid that if it ends, you know, like, yeah. That means if, if The Simpsons ends, that means I think humanity as we know it might end. So, um, you know, keep on pumping out seasons, you know, like keep on, keep on predicting the future, I guess. At least that's an encouraging sign that we have one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, if they, if, if they were going to end it, you know, you can go many different ways with this. End it where you start it, right? do a do one final future episode i think you know i, I think they might have also pigeon them pigeonholed themselves into staying in the same time period right to a certain degree uh you know I, it, it would have been interesting and I, I see why they also didn't have this the 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 characters grow up maybe even addressing the fact that you've been stuck in the bubble for so long that you know there's some outside you know there's some outside interference as to why you're going through this infinite time loop of staying in the same you know time period or where you know, you're not growing up, maybe addressing that, maybe a fourth wall episode might be very interesting too. So um, I think those are, those are the three directions that I kind of see it going in terms of, you know, how, how, how to end it. Uh, you know, you could also end it in a movie too. You know, you can use a movie to finish up the, to tie up the series and, you know, put a, put a bow on everything. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, I would, uh, I know, I know whatever, whatever ending it would possibly be, it's probably going to be an emotional one because I'm pretty sure a lot of people who are fans of the show and have followed it for, for so long, um, will be like, you know, it, it's the end of an era. It really is. So, so yeah, I, I think that the Simpsons, if and when they do end it, I think it is going to be epic and it'll probably be very, it's probably one of the most watched endings of all time. Oh yeah. Yeah, my see mine. I don't know why. Like my when I thought when I thought up this question, I, the one thing that came to my mind was like there's one running joke that has been going on since the inception of the show, and that's where Springfield is, because they'll always yeah. make allusions to like, oh, we're gonna go to this state, we're gonna go to this country. It's this many miles away, and for the diehards that are out there, like who try to pinpoint and coordinate where the 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 town of Springfield really is. You do the math mm-hmm. and a lot of these don't translate. Like they don't make sense. Like, oh, it's it's not like a thousand miles from here to there. So it, it doesn't necessarily make sense. Because you can Google Springfield like America and see all the states that have a Springfield respectively. And they right. don't distance up that way. Like they don't triangulate correctly. So my mentality mm-hmm. was that how the show would end is somehow or another like Homer maybe gets like a new job or a promotion from the plant. And it's them basically saying their final goodbyes to everybody in their own like way because they're leaving Springfield permanently and whatever happens within it, you know, say la vie. So like say Homer saying goodbye to principal Skinner because they've had those tirades where they've been going at each other for years where he says goodbye to Millhouse, to Nelson, to like all the cast and crew at Springfield Elementary. Lisa says her goodbyes. Marge says her goodbyes. And then like, because Maggie's always just been the quiet Simpson, she, as they drive off into the distance, you see a sign that says leaving Springfield and it gives you the state at the bottom to get closure on that state. Mm. And Maggie has the last line in the set in, of Sears and it just goes, We've lived in blank this entire time. <laughs> Just as like that one last like bow tie on Shot that show. Yeah. Because finally string together full sentence type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's like I think I said earlier, she's maybe said like two or three sentences the entire series where it's just like her first word was daddy. She said, Oh, mm-hmm. if you guys aren't listening, I'm not gonna speak anymore. And she said like one or two other things. And I don't know if we're counting like the non-canonical episodes and or the movie, but she hasn't really said much. So it would be really right. funny joke where it's just like, oh, Maggie has the final word, the girl that never speaks. And then just them right. finally solidifying like Springfield is in Oregon or Springfield is in, I think they said in one of the clip shows that it was in Kansas, but or Illinois, knows? right? Yeah. Illinois. Like yeah. they, they, I think each they, cause they, the Simpsons have done it where they've made, multiple endings to episodes like you mentioned who shot mr burns in that clip show yes. it was actually like because i looked it up it was legitimate they actually did make like alternate endings because they were trying to screw with fans and like people that were interviewing them so right for all you know like they made alternates where it's just like it's not actually from kansas so they could easily do like something to just end the series on that joke where they finally get that one answer of where is springfield 
and end it that way. Yeah, that's actually a really good place to end that. I definitely. Um, when you do a show, especially a long lasting show like that, you want to you want to put a bow on those things for sure. So yeah, definitely. Especially if you're going to tie something up, you're going to project what the questions are going to be, right? And one of the questions, what are, what, what are one of the inevitable questions going to be? Why did I watch this show for so long not to know where they lived, right? So let you know, let's put let's let's put a, a bow on that one. Like, you know, whether you have an answer that that's solid or you have an answer that breaks the fourth wall, you're going to get that answer. You know, so it'll be it'll be really really cool. Again, I've been watching the show for so long. I love to write, so like. Boom! They they coincide. I was like, that would be that would be not necessarily my ideal ending, but I think that would be an ideal ending. For sure, absolutely, absolutely. Before we go, and, I actually have a question yeah. on my own. Um, yeah, what's up? So, one of my things, you know, in more, in more recent years, right, has also now become learning about the artist, right? Aside from the art. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure you probably have a greater context than I do about this, but who is Matt Groening, the director? Like what, you know, like what is his vision? You know, have you seen like interviews with him in it? What's his ideals? What does he think about, um, this series? What is his, like, you know, any viewpoints or context that you can offer? Yeah. Um, just give me one second because there, that's a whole lot of life. So <laughs> he was a cartoonist as we stated earlier from the oregon area from portland and he basically left his home um when did he leave i want to say around his teens to move to la to start work and he started with the cartoon i believe life in hell for Mm -hmm. wet magazine in 78 and then he eventually started meeting people like James L. Brooks. And he started to work on the Tracy Ullman show. And then throughout his time with The Simpsons, he's accrued, I think, like 20 plus Emmys, if not more. And he's made at least two or three other very popular series or at least more notable series. Second being Futurama, third being uh, Disenchantment, which is on Netflix. And he, it's hard to really say, like, about his personal life. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't, like, with myself, I know I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of doing research, especially for TV shows, about, like, their yeah. backstories. If it's, a, like, yeah. a story or whatever, like, I care a little bit more. With The Simpsons, it's one of those... It's like white noise. Like, I, I keep mm. it on in the background. Like, I've seen this show so many times. Like, it's... I don't need to pay attention to it. <laughs> so, for me That's to, like, look up the guy's history, it's it's hard to say. Right. But just looking it up, he seems to be a Democrat, donated to Democratic parties. I guess politically, <laughs> that's one of the only things I could find. But I, I don't really know that's much cool. about the guy. Okay, but okay, so like, I mean, in terms of like his connection with his characters, right? Do you have, do you happen to know like he, how does, how does he feel about his individual characters? Do you know, like, does he happen to have a favorite um, that he writes for? Anybody he particularly like, does he, you know, what's his feeling on, on Homer Simpson, you know, stuff like that? Uh, well, one fun fact that I did find out is that yep. a lot of the choices that he's made within the series. Somehow or another, mm-hmm. if they didn't pan out, he found a way to incorporate them into the series. 
So initially, I believe Homer wasn't supposed to work at the nuclear plant. He was actually supposed to be a clown. And because they didn't think that would work out as a series, they ended up making Krusty the clown. And if you actually, like, wipe away everything, they have the same body type. And in one of the episodes where Krusty retires for, like, a third time, go figure. The Simpsons did it, like, numerous times. When Krusty retired for, like, the third time, and I think he was doing improv, he Mm -hmm. took off all the white makeup, took off the nose, and Homer happened to be right there. He's like, oh, my God, you look identical to me. Did anybody ever tell you that? (laughs) And he's like, yeah, I get it all the time. And that was basically a nod to how Homer and Krusty were supposed to be the same character. Oh, that's crazy. Wow, that's so cool. That's a little bit of fun context that I never knew. I still, and now that you know, you tell them that once you see it, like you can't necessarily unsee it, which is really, which is really cool. Yeah, especially in that episode. So, um, I believe he stated in a 2018 interview that Lisa is actually his favorite character. Lisa's and, favorite. Yeah, that he stated that the writers relate to Lisa more than any other character on the show, and that his favorite episode was I believe when they killed off Frank Grimes. Oh, I see. Yeah. Ironically, right? We had mentioned this earlier, the one who has probably the least not character development, but like the least like attention for a while for a good while was their favorite character, which is interesting. Well, because again with Lisa, like I can understand from a writer's perspective why he finds her to be so intriguing and like a favorite. Because she's the middle child. She's got like a ton of issues. She has a diversity of interests opposed to like everybody else from yeah. like the main five. And then you see that she's ever growing. So in the beginning it was like, oh, I eat meat. I'm um, I'm not a Catholic. She's a, she is a Christian. I just forgot what division they, they're in. I think Protestant. And mm. then you come to find out like, hey, I'm going vegetarian because I, I believe in animal rights. Hey, I'm going to be a Buddhist because I don't believe in all of the, the novelties of this religion. And you see how she becomes an advocate for so many things. Part of the Simpsons movie was like part of the whole premise of how the movie jump started was her being an advocate for, you know, Springfield and trying to take care of its messy whatevers because they kept dumping in the lake. So she has so many values that it's very easy to assume that she probably believes in this too. And then to basically create an episode off of that. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's so cool, man. I, Lisa, you know, seeing this show again after so many years has brought so much different perspective. I, you know, I didn't necessarily see before when watching it, so I definitely appreciate you for choosing this one as as a subject. I know this is one of your favorite shows throughout time, so I'm glad that we got a chance to open the box on this one because. As you could tell, I mean, we barely even like scratched the surface. <laughs> we talked we talked about so much in this two hour podcast, right? But we barely even scratched the surface of The Simpsons, and you know, so many different factors and uh, dynamics about this show that like, we can literally have an episode of one show, right? We can do a full yeah. episode on just one. But doing it on this series definitely, you know, kind of hopefully, you know, at the end, it kind of gives people an opportunity to kind of go back, see it, watch it with a different lens and go back and say, wow, um, you know, 
when because when we watched it for the most part we watched it as kids you know what i mean like we watched it as children so the thing is when we took in this information we saw it for the first time um you know like we probably related mostly to to, to Bart, right? Bart and, and Lisa, because that 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 comedy is just so immediate, and you see it right in front of you, and the other it's like, relatable. The They're always in the school, and so were we. So, <laughs> oh, by the way, Mrs. Kerbapo was another one I didn't even get a chance to talk about. My God, there was oh, which episode was it? R.I.P. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, you know, but. Mrs. Kerbapo on that show, man, there was one episode that really made me feel for her. Um, and it was the one where she gets fired because Bart uh, slips alcohol into her drink, wanting her to be more of a fun teacher. Um, and, you know, you get a chance to see Edna before she walks into the building, you know, with, with, with the cracked smile, hoping, like, uh, with this, like, vigor and hope hoping that the day is going to be good, trying to psych herself up for a positive day, and you see her go through it, and the moment she gets to the classroom, bam, back there again. This is, one, the plight of a teacher, right? And, like, the the real bounce of depression that, that, that can really happen. Like, it, it's a ha-ha joke, but these are actually how some people truly live. The role of a teacher is just so hard. But, yeah, that one was, that one was real interesting to see, like, the way that she... Because you don't get that type of you you, you don't get that type of uh, what you call it that type of you know thought or emotion out of her because Nip when we first when we used to see her we used to see her in glimpses and she didn't she she seemed over it she didn't care she was upset she was bothered she was like you know she reprimanded Bart all the time because Bart was always fucking up but yeah like seeing you know seeing the the fact that she she has to go in there every single day with the hope and expectation that things are going to get better. Uh, you know, she is the literal definition of insanity, right, Rody? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Well, that's the Simpsons in a nutshell, where they they do the same thing. Because you were talking about that episode about Miss Krabappel and how you saw the other side of it in yeah. season thirty-two, the most recent season as of right now. They showed the perspective of Miss Hoover, the second grade teacher, Miss uh, Lisa's oh. teacher in which she came to school, you saw her on the floor, she's like, yeah, I slipped a disc, I can teach from the floor using a tablet and stuff. Lisa goes completely bonkers on her, because she's like, hey, I deserve a better grade than this. You're an uninspiring, terrible teacher. And then Miss Hoover decides to be, you know, snarky back, and she's like, if you think that way, cool. You want to yell at your teacher? Cool. You're going to detention. And then... Lisa starts getting more and more resentful towards her teacher and she decides to follow her home. And she comes to find out that this lady takes like two buses and a train to like get to work. She's forever miserable. It's just her and her cats. And Lisa has this empathetic thought like, oh my God, I'm being so mean to this lady. She's trying so hard every day to be helpful to not just Lisa, but to everybody else while going through this crap. So again, like with this series, what makes it so grand is that there are so many characters that they've developed throughout the years that you can flesh out each and every one of them in ways that certain other shows could. Mm. Brody, well said. Thank you for that. Uh, I guess I'm going to ask you, I'll pick it up from here. Do we have any final thoughts for our listeners? See, I was going to ask that, but sure. Uh, <laughs> final thought I'm going to, because again, I love me some quotes. 
I'm going to leave off with Season 8, Episode 14, The Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie Show, which aired February 9th, 1997. They're in the Android's Dungeon, and one of the nerds that Homer went to college with asks a question to Homer and the voice actress that does Itchy and Scratchy, saying, hey, they played this character's ribs like a xylophone, and they hit the same rib twice and it made different notes. He goes, quote, hope somebody gets fired for that. To which Homer then retorts and goes, why does a man whose shirt says genius at work spend all of his time watching a children's cartoon show? So the question is, why do we spend all this time watching a kid's cartoon show? And we we watch it because despite it at face level looking like a stupid kid show, there is a ton of depth. In every single thing that they deliver, there's some level of nuance that you can go back and reflect on and possibly see it from a different perspective. And because there are such a variety of cast, you can learn more about the characters and even subsequently about ourselves by possibly seeing it from a different person's perspective. We just talked about Edna Krabappel and Mrs. Hoover as kids, we would probably say, like, I agree with Lisa and Bart. As adults, maybe we could see it from their side and say, you know what, I kind of get the plight of an educator for children mm. of this level. Bart, who, uh, albeit not openly stated, definitely diagnosed with some type of learning disorder. And Lisa, who's the overachiever that even when you give her credentials and credit for all of her accolades, demands more and feels like you're not doing enough for her. So why do we watch this children's show? Because it, despite being 22 minutes of tomfoolery of animations, there's a lot of depth between. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, even more to that, right? I mean, it also shows that, you know, real family dynamics actually at play where you have the child who gets the most attention, Bart, right? Who's the screw up in the family and the child who gets the least attention. Lisa, because she's so responsible, high maintenance, she doesn't expect anything less because her way of getting that attention is by being the best. However, she's so consistently good that she never gets the attention to begin with. So there's so many, there, there's a very, very, yeah, it's just, it, it's really loaded with, with, with different concepts and ideologies that are with it, that are wrapped neatly within this show that we don't even pay attention to when we're watching it, essentially, right? But I mean, that's just the makings of a good show that has so so many different layers to it, other than what it you know what what what's on what what's on the surface. Um, man, that's that's really cool. And I think my final thought about um, the Simpsons in this particular episode was that I am thankful for the fact that I got a chance to go back and watch it again. Because under my own accord, I probably wouldn't have. I probably would, you know, would would have dismissed it. Um, and going back to those times, watching it, uh, you know, watching it now in 2021, um, as opposed to watching it back back in the day when I was, you know, an avid watcher of The Simpsons. Because at one point, everybody was, you know, like everybody. The Simpsons was the show to watch at one point. There was, you know, you had no plans on a Sunday evening, you know, other than your, your homework better have been done because. At that point, Sunday at 8 p.m., you're watching Simpsons every week. And Sunday television was was on the lineup, and Simpsons was there. 
it was definitely part of the Sunday punch. I'm glad to see that the show still goes strong. Uh, you know, I think the Apu issue, right? And going back to that, I think that the Apu issue was good. I'm glad that that happened because it was a necessary thing that happened because it sparked up a conversation. And without a show like this, you know, that, that has its irresponsible moments because everything does, right? It's going to have its irresponsible moments. So once it has this, you know, acknowledging those irresponsible moments and having, you know, being, being, um, having those things called out, um, you know, that's, that's significant. It's a, it's a significant portion of history and also helps us to move the needle forward so that we can be better than we were before. Yeah. I mean, the last thing I want to say is, uh, to everybody listening, I want to first thank everybody for following us this long, you know, for those who do listen you know, every week to either Rody and myself, uh, the 3RG, you know, the, the random family in total, like, I'm, I'm just very grateful that, you know, that, you know, we, we get your feedback and, you know, we hear, we hear such great things. I'm actually going to share something with you, Rody, that one listener said, uh, and they, they were like, I love Rody because, you know, he, because, you know, you have, you offer context, you give, you know, you give stories, you're very relatable and you have all of this knowledge to share. Thank you for, for you being you and uh, what you would call it. Thank you, everybody. Uh, who, as I said, I consider any listener here, no matter where you may be in the world, to be part of our family. So thank you for that. Awesome. Um, do you want to do the the closeout or? <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. I mean, I'm ready to close the box on this. Are you ready? Uh, I think for another episode, we can maybe open this, but I think for today, <laughs> we are good to go. <laughs> yeah. We, we rung out the Simpsons as much as we possibly could and on the subjects that we were really, um, you know, really, really happy to talk about. So um, I'm not going to say goodbye. So I won't. All I'm going to say is till next time, everyone. Thank you for listening. Open the box to think outside of it. I'm Rando. I'm Rody. Take care, everyone.
I, by the way, I think, you know, this is just watching, you know, just watched Keenan for the first time, right? Which is a show, which is a show on NBC. And I thought it was going to be regular comedy. I thought it was going to be really, you know, but man, it, it, it was just from the moment that, I, that, that, that you saw it, it just made you feel like, damn, this shit, I don't know why this is on the air. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No offense to Keenan Thompson. Big ups to him. I hope he's very successful in his career. It's just that, you know, that opening, that those opening two episodes that I saw, I was like, God damn. You know, like, they, 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 there's like certain things that are like are uncomfortable types of humor, right? Simpsons has a, you know, they can get uncomfortable at times, but they know how to do it in such a way for the most part. They know how to do it in such a way where it, it doesn't have that discomfort or that, oh, why did you even go there type of um, type of type of attitude, you know. And again, that's 